0: Listeners,
1: (laughs) ha, see what I did there? Sorry, corny puns, it comes with the organization. Anyways, my name is Amanda Alexander, and you're listening to OR Else. Thank you for tuning in to another episode where we interview current OR fellows, alumni, business leaders, and entrepreneurs in the Indianapolis area. Before I get started with this month's episode, I want to say thank you to everyone who texted, emailed, or messaged me with feedback and positive criticism for the last episode. I'm glad you all don't hate the podcasts, and I'm excited to give you more. A quick news update, or else is now on iTunes. Yes, you heard me right. We are now in the world of Apple, so I guess that makes us a little bit more official than we originally were. Point is, go to your podcast app, search or else, click the subscribe button. That way you'll always be in the know whenever a new episode drops. It's way easier than having to search us on SoundCloud. Please, please, please go do this as it increases our visibility on the app and also markets us a lot better throughout the social media world. Thank you all, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Today's interview is with Tiffany Souter. Tiffany is the CEO of Element3, a full-service marketing agency here in Indianapolis, which also happens to be a host company. But Tiffany's involvement with Or doesn't stop there because she is also a member of our board. I hope you guys enjoy listening. Tiffany grew up in a house where business was a main topic of discussion. Her dad was a self-made entrepreneur and always felt it important to expose his kids to the business world early on. She grew up learning about opportunity costs and creating leverage, and eventually she got her degree in finance at Purdue.
0: So I, I grew up in a house of like workers. Like we had jobs all the way through high school, and it wasn't necessarily because financially i had to it was that my parents really cared a lot about us developing a strong work ethic so in college i i had i I worked my whole sophomore junior and senior year through college and then summers i would work too so before my senior year of college i interned at lily which was a big like i'm a small town girl grew up in the country uh indianapolis was the the great big city in my world um and so the idea of getting an internship at like a, a big publicly traded company like that was a real dream come true for me. So I interned at Lilly and basically like if you did a good job, you got an offer at the end of it. So going into my senior year, I got an offer from Lilly and was really pumped about that. The idea of like, I don't know, being in a business environment, being in this great big company, I knew that if you did well, that there was a lot of opportunity there. And so that was a really, at that time, a really invigorating environment for me.
1: During her time at Lilly, she was in the finance department and worked in a manufacturing plant. Her job, essentially, was to figure out things like how much did it cost for them to make one pill or one unit of a
0: product. And from this job, she gained incredibly useful skills. If you can look at historical information in anything in your life, it could be Um, Well, but finance and that job was go look at historically, how has everything performed? What's happened in the past? And when things went well, let's look at why did things go well? When things went really poorly, why did things Mm -hmm. go poorly? And then your job was basically to figure out, well, what, what do I think is the most likely thing to happen in the next 12 months? And you were doing that from a financial perspective, but you were basically planning and making assumptions like, i think we're going to have this much factory loss because Mm -hmm. in the past the machines have broken 12 times a year but we've increased our maintenance program so i'm going to assume it's only going to break eight times a year and so that's going to have this financial impact so understanding like causation and correlation i just think is so important in our personal lives like what were the things i did that made me feel when i feel great in the morning and i'm ready to go what are the decisions that i made that made me feel like crap in the morning like What are the things that give me energy? Let me look historically. There's a lot we can learn by having the discipline of looking back and making thoughtful decisions that create disciplined behavior so that you can interrogate why, when I get to my future point, Mm -hmm. why did I get there and what went the same or different than I expected so that you can make better decisions going forward.
1: Tiffany was at Lily for about two and a half years before she made a career switch. What prompted the change was Lily went through an SAP implementation, which essentially meant they were ripping out all the old systems that ran manufacturing and putting new ones in. It was a massive project that took over a decade to complete. And at the same time, half of her plant was shut down. People who had worked there for 30 to 40 years were laid off. And watching the planning of that take place really shook her.
0: But what I realized was that there's inside a huge company like that, while there's a ton of opportunity, it takes a really long time for it to happen. Oh, yeah. And growing up in just a real entrepreneurial environment at home, I was like, oh, my word, I'm going to be like 104 before I make a decision that matters at all. And I've since learned I'm very motivated by significance in my life and in my days. It's really important to me. And so I suddenly felt like really, I don't know, like, like there was an elephant standing on my chest like I was like I can't breathe I, I I'm, I'm gonna just like be invisible forever
1: when she left Lily she didn't know exactly what she was going to do next but she worked in a small business of her dad's for about a year and then she met the previous owners of element three at the time she had read the book the e-myth which essentially talks about people who are good practitioners at their trade or art but have no idea how to run a business for example, I went to school for creative writing, so let's say I wrote a book, it did really well, and now I've got book tours and signings and I've got a pan agent and all kinds of stuff that now makes me have an, an actual brand and business to worry about. But the problem is I have no clue how to manage it.
0: In my business, there's a lot of that that happens where artists, writers, designers, web developers that are really good practitioners get a little bit of business and then a little bit more and then a lot of bit of business and then suddenly they have a company, but they have no idea how to run a company. They don't know how to set strategy. They don't know how to define a marketing plan. They don't know how to build a brand for themselves. They don't know how to hire and fire and some of the uglier parts of what it looks like to run a business that's successful. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I I met these people and they're amazing, but they were burnout out on the business side and me being, I don't know, like 24 and a half, I don't think I'm exaggerating. I think that's what I was. <laughs> I was like, you know, I think I could run the business for you. I don't really know much about marketing or about your disciplines, but it's probably helpful for you that I don't, because I'll just stay out of your way. And so that's what we did. My dad and I bought the company for like $30,000. It was that's insane. a very tiny amount. Oh, and, wow. we, and I don't even know if it was worth that, but... And yeah, so that was kind of day one. Element three has really changed a lot since the first moment Tiffany stepped up to the helm
1: and took charge. And if there was one piece of advice she could give her 24-year-old self about buying a company from someone, it would be to have been more clear and intentional with an exit strategy for the previous owners.
0: We bought the company from a husband and wife and they continued to work for us. And I, kind of went into it like oh very naively like oh they'll probably work for us and I don't know indefinitely I don't know maybe but that's pretty naive like even in the best scenario that if they believed they could do it there's very few times when that the people that used to own the business who now work for you and are at some point going to need to take some direction it's not going to go all the like it's probably not going to go all the way through to retirement so we were not intentional about saying, "Hey, we're going to buy the company and with that, we're going to put together a 3-year employment contract or 4-year or 5 years or 1 year, whatever the thing is. We just said we're going to buy the company and we're going to work together." And even if you said that we're going to put together, let's say, 3-year employment agreement, even if everything's going great, at least there's a point in time 3 years from now where everybody can say, "This is going great. We want to do more." Re-evaluation. Yeah, we want to keep going. And so That's something I would do differently. If I ever buy another company, I'll be much more intentional about saying, let's just all be honest with ourselves that this probably isn't gonna last forever. If we want it to, well then great, we can decide to let that be. But let's on day one be a little bit more pragmatic with one another that this probably isn't gonna go on forever.
1: In the beginning, Tiffany admits she didn't have her own compass on how to run the business. She acted on a lot of input from people who'd been marketing longer and was very passive in her decisions. A little while later, though, she took steps towards educating herself about the business she was running. She hired a mentor, Marcia Stone, who was at one point the North American creative director of Bates Worldwide. A pretty big deal. They met every single Friday in Broad Ripple, and Tiffany asked her questions ranging from marketing vocabulary, like, what does Pantone mean, to opinions on competitors in the marketplace. And not only did she gain priceless knowledge from these mentor meetings, but Marcia ended up working with Tiffany at Element 3 for about seven years afterwards, helping her understand the business from the inside. For a while, Tiffany was coasting, she was learning, her company was growing. And then
0: they smashed right into the recession. We laid off half of our staff. I had my first baby. My husband had just left his job and put a bunch of money from friends and family in the market. And it was a bloodbath. Um, personally and professionally, it was, it was the toughest time we've been through. We were 29 years old. I don't know. We had a house. We were scared to death. Um, scared to death. And I had this baby and I didn't know what to do with it and I'm a really good mom but I'm a really medium baby mom. It's sweet but it's really hard for me. It's, it's not a natural kind of moment for, yeah. my, for me as a person so it was just really hard. I wanted to quit that whole time and my dad kept saying, it's, the end is only the end if you let it be the end. And I wanted it to be the end so bad because it was so painful and I was so scared and we owed people money and every day I walked in there would be voice messages from people who were looking for money. I didn't there was nobody buying marketing. Um we just moved into new office space that was way too much, way too expensive. When there's no work and everybody's scared, morale goes in the crapper. I was not skilled in knowing how to navigate that. It was just gross. It was really gross at a loss for what to do and to help her business not
1: collapse, she read a bunch of articles. She didn't realize it at the time. She was reading and
0: downloading a lot of content from HubSpot. They called me probably because my lead score in their system was like 400. And I talked to this gal, her name was Danny Hertzberg. She was on their sales team at the time and she was explaining to me what HubSpot could do. And it was basically taking all these disparate systems because this was in like 2000 and 11, 10, uh, yeah, 2010. And at that time, email marketing and landing pages and your website and Google Analytics and uh, lead nurturing, all of these were in different databases and different systems. And I was spending all this time in Excel trying to figure out attribution, like how does the data connect to each other and using VLOOKUPs and all the stuff, and it was a mess. And she's like, basically what HubSpot does is it takes all those systems and it works from a single database. And I was like, well, of course, like, And I I said on the phone, I was like, does this do what you say it does? Like, just say it to me straight. Does this this do this actually? And she's like, yeah, would you like to see a demo? I was like, I don't care about a demo. Like, I need, like, on a human level, does this thing work? And she's like, yeah. I was like, great, I'm in.
1: So without ever seeing a demo, without using it for the agency, and without ever looking inside of HubSpot, they signed up as an agency partner. For the next three years, she spent her time selling the crap out of inbound marketing as a strategy. They were HubSpot's Agency of the Year, but nobody in the city of Indianapolis would pay attention to Element 3. She would fly to Boston, and people would send a car, people to greet her, and the company was winning awards, but for the life of her, she couldn't get the people in her own backyard to recognize them as a company. She decided to do something about it, and what better way to get recognition than throw their own party?
0: We threw a conference here in Indianapolis for about three years and I joked, I was like throwing my own coming out party. And so we threw this conference called uh, Go Inbound, Brian Halligan, the CEO of how it came to be is we won their agency of the year and he's like, when are you going to bring me to Indy and put me on stage? And I was like, I was like, just so we're clear, I'm actually the kind of girl who like makes good on offers like that. So if you're not going to do it, like I'll give you a, you can retract that. I won't be mad, but now is the time. But if you're going to commit to this, I'm actually going to make it happen. <laughs> He's like, "Yeah, I'll come." So, we had him and a bunch of big names and we probably spent $150,000 a year on that conference and probably at least that if not twice that in time. It caught it was a it was super expensive for us and we were an agency of like 25 people at the time. So small, but I was like, "You're going to pay attention to us." And I knew that that would translate into momentum, and really what I needed more from the local marketplace was not so much business, but it was talent. Mm. And nobody, I couldn't get anybody to pay attention to us because I wasn't from the industry. I'm not from the city. I don't, like, my parents don't live here. Like, I couldn't get people to pay attention. So we did that for three years, and I, I think that was one of the single gutsiest but most important decisions that we made to just invest in our future as a company.
1: They hosted the conference for three years, and after that, they decided to stop, as it would have been more costly to keep doing it and wouldn't have reaped as much of a reward as before. For a time, they worked with inbound marketing, but then marketing started to change. The internet started to get more competitive, and inbound marketing wasn't like lightning in a bottle anymore, which forced them to go back to marketing as it originally was, multidimensional and multi-channel.
0: But there was a period for about three years where inbound had a lot of arbitrage around it. And we rode that hard and that gave us a shot to differentiate ourselves so that as we changed our services and our business, we I saw it coming. And so we were able to get in front of it, which is great. So now we have paid and a lot of the things that pure inbound marketing says, you know, don't ever use paid media. Or don't. And this was the original. If you go read HubSpot's content today, they're in full awareness that, that doesn't work the way it used to (laughs) but at the time it did so and then it was deciding you know I I really we will always be a growth company because I think it it just keeps us on our toes I love the unknown and so the idea of like running a company that's the same size for five years just kind of makes me want to die um maybe it's foolish I don't know but it just gives me a lot of energy and I learn stuff and it's hard and I like all that so.
1: If you couldn't tell by now, Tiffany is definitely someone who embraces risk and challenge, which is something I admire greatly since I'm the complete opposite. I'd like to think I take risks, but in the end it's always because I'm sure of the outcome or confident in my decision after much brooding and ruminating. Gosh, I just made myself sound like a chicken. Anyways, I'm not saying that she doesn't think ahead or calculate before she makes a decision. I'm saying she has this confidence that permeates the room, and I wanted to know how she got that.
0: I think part of it is a mindset. Um, When you look at things and say, there's really no such thing as failure, it's just new information. You don't, because I've actually had to learn not to emotionally, and this is not to say we don't celebrate, but not to emotionally ride the highs or the lows I think it's easy to tell yourself to, I think books say, you know, fail forward and all this kind of stuff. But you also have to not believe the hype. Like, you can't be the one who is the one most celebrating your success. Let other people do that. Like, focus on what's next. And if I would have stayed in love with how loved we were when we were the inbound agency, we would not be here anymore. Like, I had to be the one who stayed the most critical about who we are. Does that make sense? That does, yeah. Um, and I see that in young talent. It's like, when you can stay even, whether the, the world is celebrating you or the world thinks you're terrible, neither of them are, are as true as people say. You aren't as bad as somebody thinks you are or the market is saying you are or how about you feel. You aren't that bad. And how great they say you are. Because this year I've gotten a lot of like the 40 under 40. but And it's like, okay, this year I was not smarter than years past. It's just people acknowledged what we've built, which is really sweet and kind and that is meaningful. But there's still a lot of work to do. Yeah. And so I just have to keep looking forward.
1: Over the years, Element 3 has had to stay on top of things. Change. Adapt look to the future, and when I asked Tiffany how they managed to determine next steps, she said it's simply by devoting time to do so. For example, not only do they plan goals for 2019, but they plan long-term as well, thinking where they want to be once 2025 comes around, and what steps they need to take each year in order to reach that goal. But for all of you listening, she had one simple piece of advice in relation to looking ahead.
0: Be comfortable having a vision for what you think you want things to be, but reevaluating it in a way. Because my life looks different now with three kids. I've got one going to middle school next year. When I was, when I had one baby at home with a nanny, I could work 75 hours a week and nobody really cared, you know? And when there's little kids, there's not, they don't have schedules. They don't have events in the evening. So you can just, you could do different things. Now that my kids are starting to get in activities, I have to say no to different things. And the way I need the business to look and what I can give it looks different. And, you know, having thoughtful times to step back and say, is that still what I want? Does that still fit inside the other things that are going on, the opportunities my husband has gotten in his career? We have to, we have to make those decisions beside one another. And it's important to step back and say, is that still what I want? Does that still drive me? Does that still, Or is there a different way to put the pieces together where I can still get what I want but mm-hmm. maybe not give it as much as I was or I am? So I've had to learn that because I, I can tend to just want to, my default is just to grind it out and not to be smart about saying, how do I give all of the things that need me? my husband, my family, my church, my extended family like my mom and that kind of stuff and the and my business. How do I give how do I give all of that things that fit for my life?
1: One of those goals Tiffany had for her company was to be recognized by or fellowship. Not that she wanted awards from them or anything, but she had it on her bucket list to be one of the companies or deemed good enough to host one of their fellows. She heard about Orr simply by being involved in and around technology and in indie. She says, and I quote, Orr was made inside the velocity that was being created with the tech space, end quote. And she wanted to get involved with such a talent-focused organization. For her, without talent, her business doesn't run. Her aspirations came true, and about four years ago, Element 3 got its first fellow.
0: We actually, our first fellow was not through the normal recruiting process. Okay. We um, took a fellow that was at a company that had fallen on some um, tough financial times. Mm-hmm. And so because we had just gone through the host company process, they called us and were like, hey, if, you're, if you don't want to wait for the recruiting season, um, we have some, you know, somebody who's interested in interviewing with you. So, you know, they took a real shot on us because we yeah. were really unknown. And now that I know him, his name is Aaron Harrison. Um, he's, he's, a, he's a spectacular risk taker. And so I look back and like, of course, he picked somebody who, who was unknown. <laughs> yes. Um, but, yeah, that's really in character for him.
1: While Element 3 is a host company, Tiffany's involvement with OR doesn't stop there, because she's also a member of OR's board. Much like other boards for companies, our board acts as a key decision maker and advisor for the future of OR as an organization. She became involved with the board just as a few members were ending their term, and the previous member, who called her, Christine Cameron, encouraged her to look at the opportunity. Tiffany only serves on two boards at any one time because she wants to make sure she can dedicate the proper time and thought to each. She's very selective about the ones she chooses.
0: I want to try to give in a way that is helpful to the organization and not just go through the motions. And, you know, the OR Fellowship, kind of like my company, is kind of transitioning from, like, startup to scale-up mode. And so more infrastructure and... Um, a little bit more discipline around some things. It's been fun to work through where's the right place for that because we want the or Fellowship certainly to still feel really entrepreneurial and make sure that the fellows because it's really led by the fellowship team to make sure that they feel like they have the freedom that they need to be able to run it in a way that works for that class but also enough structure that we don't spend energy resolving things that previous classes have solved and So we certainly don't have that defined completely, but that's, those are some of the things that I was excited about working through with the board.
1: The board's job is governance, mainly fiscally and with strategic planning. The strategic planning bit is something she's been working on with the board very recently. She says, and again, I quote, the goal of a board, just like an executive team, is to lead the organization to a clearly envisioned future end quote. Without a clearly envisioned future, we can't understand the impacts of our decisions today, which is definitely something she's taken from her financial background at Lilly and applied to the fellowship. They also spend a lot of time talking about how to expand the staff of the fellowship thoughtfully so that while the organization grows, the OR experience is still maintained and also how to make sure it's a modern organization in relation to diversity and wide representation, not only with our fellows, but with technology, resources, and host companies.
0: I think we're constantly benchmarking ourselves, and we look really closely at things like if we gave offers to this doesn't happen, but imagine we give out a hundred offers and sixty people declined it. That that doesn't happen. You start to say, well, clearly we're falling. We're not a modern organization. We're not connecting to what the talent population is really looking at from mm-hmm. for us um, at from the Or Fellowship right now. So you know, we look just like a business would. We look really closely at the numbers. We look really closely at ourselves and the competitive landscape to make sure that. We are not falling behind in that.
1: Like any job or position, there are good and bad aspects that come with the role. Because being on a board is unique, especially Orr's board, I was curious as to what some of those were.
0: Um, I think my favorite thing is that I really believe the OR Fellowship, the vision that the team had almost 15 years ago when it was put together, I think it has... It, it is going to be a difference maker in our state's ability, our city's ability to be able to attract talent that is going to be the difference between us delivering on the economic future of the state of Indiana and not. I mean, if I didn't believe that, I wouldn't spend my time and energy on the board. So I would say that's my my favorite thing. And being able – I did my first um, on-campus interviewing this year. I was like just – blown away in so many great ways about how just talented this group of people are coming off the college campus. And it just gives you a ton of faith in the future of, you know, you guys are going to be that, the idols for my kids. You guys are going to be building the companies that my kids work for. And so, you know, I, I, I feel a tremendous amount of responsibility to give back what I've learned and just to also help mold and grow this kind of next future, you know, future leadership for the city. So that's my favorite. I think my least favorite part, if I'm being real candid, is I feel like every single year at some level, there's this like wrestling with fellows first year, second year, your offer at your host company around salary and what's fair and all that kind of stuff. I feel like sometimes that muddies the experience waters sometimes. And I think it's a tough thing for us as a board to know, you know, we spend a lot of money creating programs so that you guys come out and and that doesn't, so that you come out and have an incredible experience and it just like is a catalyst for your future and your career. And I don't think we know how to quantify that. And so then we get into this kind of salary war with other opportunities and I think it's just I think it's really complicated to solve and there's not a perfect answer and there never will be. I don't think we we I don't think we do a bad job at it. No. It's just yeah. If for some reason we could really help you guys understand all of the energy and all of the money that is spent in a non-salary way around that. You know, $5,000 to a startup is a ton of money, $5,000 to Salesforce, is no money. And so it's difficult to create an environment of parity where you can even make a good decision about it. So it's just a complex Rubik's cube that doesn't have a good answer.
1: Her hopes for OR are that the organization can remain prestigious, that they can make good decisions as a board in the coming years around either making OR small and exclusive or big and pervasive. But her final hopes were for OR fellows individually themselves.
0: I love, I love like dear 20, 20, what are you guys? 23? Yeah. Dear 23 year old self. I would say when you go through moments of fear Make yourself write down, what is the worst possible thing that could happen? And then say, could I, could I figure that out? Because I think oftentimes the monsters in our brain, or the monsters that our brain creates, are much scarier than any reality that we can talk down. And when I learned that, it completely changed what I believed I could do, because I was scared of so much less. And as you start to have life experiences, you start to be scared of fewer things because you can see you can get through stuff. But I remember when I was in the toughest years of Element 3, and I'm like, what is the worst thing that happens? The worst thing that happened was that my husband and I lost our house. And the other worst thing that happened was that my dad had signed a personal guarantee to the bank to the, uh, for our lease. So we had signed a seven-year lease, and it was $750,000. And our lease payment was, I want to say like eight thousand dollars a month. So I basically went and did the math of like, okay, if we lost our house, where we would where we would go? Where would we go live? We would probably live in my parents' basement or my husband's parents' basement. If I could show them to you, they're both beautiful places. It's 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 kind of embarrassing, mm-hmm. but really it would not it would be fine. My baby would have a bed. I would probably have meals cooked for me. And it it really was not that bad. I'm like, it would be embarrassing to lose my house, but it doesn't end me. I just live with my parents again. We'll get back on our feet. My husband and I are both college educated. And the second thing was the $750,000. And I basically did the math of how much money I would need to make for the next 20 years of my life to pay that back to my dad, and it was doable. And I was like, okay. The worst thing that happens is that this this is a huge life experience, and I pay my dad back for this because I felt like I needed to and I can do that in my lifetime Mm -hmm. and that's not what happened but I, I stared it down I'm like it's I'm not gonna die I'm not gonna die and it doesn't change the fact that that piece of paper is already signed I can't go back and change that and I can pay him back and there's a lot of things I will not be able to do but it doesn't me and I was like, okay, then that's the worst thing that can happen. And then I wasn't afraid of it anymore. So in the moments of, that, I, that I'm that I allow fear to creep in, that's how I chase it away. And as you guys are trying to figure out what's next, what I want to do with my lives and all the roads of opportunity in front of you, the ones that look fun but look scary, talk down the fear and walk through it.
1: Thank you so much for listening to yet another episode of or else the support has been phenomenal and i really appreciate it special thanks for this episode goes to hallie serrata who is a current or fellow at element three she was really instrumental in getting this interview set up as a reminder or else is now on itunes go to your podcast app search or else and click the subscribe button so you're always in tune to whenever a new episode drops Join me next time in an episode where I interview one of the members of our fellowship leadership team. It should be a really fun time. Credit for today's music goes to Blue Dot Sessions with Spunk Lit, Kilo Bot with Rosalie, Eddie all the way up, and Mont Placier a good start.